0: Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast with your hosts, the Battle Bros, Taylor and Isaac. How's it going, buddy? Great day off, recording (laughs) our first podcast ever, which is pretty exciting. Excellent. Yeah, it's uh, extremely exciting. Um, I think we've really found a game that we really love to play and we're excited to give back to the community. Yep. So uh so like we said this is the attack action podcast um we are uh two best friends located in northern california in the united states um uh, we've how long have we known each other uh i think we played soccer together when we were six
1: and we've been like climbing buddies and board game buddies uh all of our adult lives went to a small small school together
0: Yep. Yeah. So we've basically been, uh, best friends since, uh, sometime in high school. Um, yeah. And so it's just really great that one of your best friends enjoys a game with you as much as you do. Um, we're kind of on like a nerd bender right now. Uh, your girlfriend's gone. So I'm over at your house and we're just spending two days of, Basically playing Flesh and Blood and staying up till all hours of the night drinking. Um, And it's excellent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been great. Just living the dream, you know. Oh,
0: totally. Um, So a little bit about uh, the podcast format. Um, We are basically just two noobs who play a lot of Blitz. Um, We really love this game. We think it's uh, excellent. Um, but so the podcast is going to evolve as our knowledge of the game and skill of the game evolves also. So, um, that's what you can expect from us. We're going to try to release maybe two podcasts a month, maybe once a month. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe every day with the hot spoilers that are coming in. Um, so I wanted to briefly talk about just kind of, um, our history with games maybe you can even start with uh, we'll go to you first <laughs> and uh, we'll start with wherever you started with games like whether that was Monopoly or you can like uh, jump ahead to when we were playing Hiroshima Hex at your dad's house in the middle of the summer heat or something like that so what's your personal history with games and then where do we tie in together there yeah, okay,
1: I'm just going to jump ahead to, um, like when I was a kid I didn't know, like I knew there was Dungeons and Dragons and Monopoly and stuff, I right. didn't know that uh, the golden age of board games was coming out, so we, uh, we've we played a lot of board games together in maybe the past like five years or something like that,
0: since we've really gotten into it, Yeah. or at least for me. Maybe more, 2000, maybe like 2012, well, yeah. Okay, let's say five years. Yeah, well whatever. Five Doesn't to seven. Matter.
1: And we've also uh, so we like playing like big board games, you know, cooperative, whatever. Um, but we also uh, like to have our collectible card game type competitive, you know, that like scratches a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of things like uh, you know, that deck building, um, strategy, the one on one kind of like chess match or poker match. Um We tried, you know, we played Star Wars Destiny for a while. Mm -hmm. We played Legend of the Five Rings. Um, I'm not sure if we have played any others together, but um, we're pretty excited about this game in particular. And like Taylor said, uh, we just started, so I'm not even really familiar with all of the, you know, all the characters and all the cards or anything, but we're going to share our initial thoughts and then get more meta heavy maybe later on um but as this game is up and coming i think we're uh you know right along with a lot of people trying to break into it right now
0: yeah definitely especially with the pandemic um in the u.s you know it's like extremely hard to uh start a new game and have buddies and stuff um you hit the nail on the head with our whole past and stuff Uh, as far as board games go and uh, we are like definitely really sad that the turn uh, Destiny took and kind of ruined it for us like we we got out of the game uh, right when we were probably loving it the most but it was so hard to continue to play that game when it turned into something that we had like not initially bought into Um, and I think one of the points you uh, had earlier was about how we really like kind of a chess match poker game. Like I think me and you are just competitive people, period. Like we've played a lot of sports in our days. Um, That's right. A couple of jocks making a podcast about a card game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So it's really nice. It's really – that's one of the things that makes it really fun is that – As we play, like, we get better and the games get, like, more competitive. Although sometimes I feel that they're a little detrimental to my, uh, not my health, but, like, my my overall mood, you know? Sometimes, like, I lose a game and get kind of pouty and I'm like, let's play again! And it's, like, one in the morning, you know? But that's one of the fun parts of playing a game that's competitive, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean... That's just, like, one thing you need, kind of. Then we just get hammered and play Marvel Champions and smash things. Yeah. You know, so it's like... Yeah, totally. This is just kind of one aspect um, of our board game interest, but it's probably going to be a pretty huge one. Um, Do you want to talk about some of the, like, why this game appeals to us? Oh,
0: yeah. See, this is why we're co-hosts together, because that's exactly what I was going to say, is that we should talk about... Um, generally flesh and blood, like what it is and then what, why it is like our game of choice. So how about you start? I like I okay. flipped that um. you were going to interview me, but now I interviewed you. Touche. Touche.
1: All right. So, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you already play this game, but, um, we'll just try to sell it really quick anyway. Uh, <laughs> I really like this game, um, because... Of the kind of the nuanced complexities of learning to play with a character, it's not very straightforward. Uh, Mastering any character, and maybe no character is yet mastered. Um, It's kind of hard to tell because there's less competitive play now, except in New Zealand or whatever. Mm. And I haven't really been following that. But it's just like, you know, I probably played five games with the ranger, and now I feel like I have more questions than answers. (laughs) And if you try to draft, you know, the wizard, you just like, can barely move. Um, but that's what makes it so good is uh, all of the cards are very subtly balanced and all valuable. Um, one thing you mentioned, we moved away from Destiny, which is, like, a really great game in a lot of ways. But uh, we didn't really appreciate the the power ramp with new sets that... Uh, yeah, you we... know, they're just trying to sell you more cards and make you fish for the best cards in uh, boxes. Yeah, And uh, this a huge selling point about this game was that it's like, yeah, you have to spend money to support them, but they're not, uh, they're not just making their older cards obsolete. So you have to spend more money
0: fishing for new
1: cards. Right. Um, So
0: guards don't cycle out like they do in other games. Um, and some of the most rare cards are cards that, um, you only need one of in a deck. So you don't really need to, uh, hunt for, uh, specific cards, like five copies of something so that you have like a really uh, viable competitive deck. Um, Another point I wanted to uh, also make was um, how uh, I think, yeah, like we haven't played a competitive or we're not coming from like magic, like a magic scene or something like that. So Like we played maybe in high school or junior high or something like that I remember playing in study hall um, and just coming with like a constructed deck and getting obliterated you know (laughs) Um, but so uh, Star Wars Destiny is like probably our most is the closest thing we have to a sounding board or some some sort of reference for a collectible uh, card game so things like power creep We weren't like aware of until we were a couple of sets into that game. And we're like, well, these new cards are just obviously better. I have a, you know, thousands cards from previous sets and that's like, you know, not working out (laughs) having so many cards that have so much or have such little value, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. And so it would cost you maybe $400 every three months to Mm -hmm. be relatively competitive um and you know that's just uh pretty expensive and then most of the cards you pull out of those boxes are uh don't have any value now and a lot of them will have no value later um Mm -hmm. i played magic in like sixth grade and maybe junior high and i was really into it but i uh you know couldn't tell you how to play
0: now Um, (laughs) right so so yeah so that's where we're coming from um Uh, uh, What also I really like about Flesh and Blood is the fact that you have a hero who has a weapon and you have this armor, this gear you bring to this battle is, um, gosh, that's so appealing. That's so fun that you could have, like, let's take Dorinthia, for example, and then show up with a sword, a spear, you know, a talismanic lens on your eyeball, you know, or some sort of iron something or others, you know, like, that's just really exciting to be able to have your own twist on a character that is beyond just the 60 card deck. You know what I'm saying? Definitely.
1: Um, I do like that your character is out and their gear is out, um, you know just as opposed to a a game where your starting hand is all you have um i also like that about this game cuz we we played legend of the five rings briefly after star wars and that's more of like a 2 or 3 hour you know massive chess match you know and this is right. more like a like a poker hand it's just a like brutal duel <laughs> where you just like you're walking down a path
0: in the woods and then your mortal enemies and see each
1: other. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's yeah, brutal. <laughs> definitely.
0: I mean, um, what I also really like, so to use L five R as an example, I think that's a really, uh, great game. I don't think it's for me though, because it takes, um, too many hours to play a game. And then the fact that you, there are just too many variables for me to track like, you know, you have your provinces out there. So if you don't know what Legend of the Five Rings is, is you, you have um, f- provinces out on the table and you have to break them, um, def- defeat a certain threshold number from your opponent. And the first person to do so many and then get to the person's stronghold is the winner. And there's two decks and two hands and four
1: battlefields (laughs) yeah stronghold and and there's two
0: separate resources that you have to worry about um my big thing on that was a the length and b there was too many factors for me to consider for what i should do on my turn so it, it uh it lost some of the perhaps skill that a person would need Or or a person like me. I think there are plenty of people who like the crazy complexity or depth of that game. Um, Which, that's a good topic for later, the difference between depth and complexity. But, regardless, uh, too much for me. So, Flesh and Blood kind of hits this nice uh, level place where there's complexity, but I can sit there and figure out what the... um, most likely scenario is that you have or that you could defend with
1: right and like you mentioned to me earlier um the cards are uh it's somewhat consolidated in that your uh your cards defend give you resources and have a function and it's your different combination of those things i mean this isn't new like other games do some you know some version of this but it's uh It's definitely like a good way to go because you're only—I mean, your hand has four cards, but you have a, a very broad array of, uh, you know, paths or strategies you can choose, which is
0: like—it's hard to describe, but it's very interesting. Um, Well, kind of how complex
1: your turn is. Yeah,
0: it's incredible if you, how many decisions there are in things to consider when you only have four cards, right? Right. It's like um, it's a super well designed game. How that is. Excuse the cat. So if you hear any uh, any animals milling about, that's because there are dogs and a cat about. So sorry for that. But also, no, it's a global pandemic. So what yeah, are you going to do? No
1: way. Life with pets is way better. Oh, yeah. I'm like happy we have a bunch <laughs> of animals
0: milling around. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, the game is so well designed to be able to think about how many different things you could do with a single card is... One of the things that makes this game so great. Um, so, how about Isaac, you give us a little, um, just a little bit breakdown of kind of what a, a general turn looks like in Flesh and Blood?
1: Uh, okay, that's pretty tough. Um... So, you got your hand
0: of cards. <laughs> right. I just... It's like kind of a lot happens.
1: I guess not a lot physically happens, but so you have a hand of four cards. Right. And uh, it's your turn to attack. So basically you look at your cards, you decide which ones you're going to pitch for resources and which ones you're going to play to simplify it. Right. Um, Also, maybe some that you would save for defense and uh, maybe one that you would slot into your arsenal so that next turn you have a bonus card in your hand. Then you attack, burn all your cards, you know, do as much damage as possible, or whatever. The other player defends, but the, the catch is... Oh, and I'll we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but this is yeah. another thing I really like about this game. Excellent. So after you attack, you re-up your hand, right? So you have a full hand of cards to defend with when it's their turn. But when they attack you, if you choose to use some of your cards to defend, which some are meant for defense, you're going to play defense... Right. But the more cards you use to defend with, you don't re-up your hand after your turn defending. Right. So then maybe I defend with two cards, block some damage, but then I only have two cards to then attack with my next turn. Um, So that's another, or that's what I was going to talk about, is uh, the momentum shifts in this game are, like, huge. The... I mean, so if I attack Taylor with a big turn Mm -hmm. and he has to pitch all of his cards just to stay alive, then he has no cards left to defend with again, and I re-up my hand. So then I basically get a whole nother turn to attack him, and he's just on his heels. It takes a real dud hand of mine, or a really good defense of his, or some sort of trickery or, you know, uh, mistake for him to turn the tide so far that I attack him with four cards he defends stays alive i re-up my hand and then he's able to attack me well enough for me to have to defend with my cards and then he sees the momentum um and it plays out we can talk about this later but it plays out very differently in the beginning of the game and the end of the game when you have 20 health or two health but anyway we can get to that later yes totally but anyway that's like the
0: basics of how your how your turn goes Yeah, so it really is kind of a, um, hey now, dog, it really is kind of a poker match um, that you have, there is a certain amount of bluffing, and once you get uh, pretty skilled at the game and know your opponent and your opponent knows you, you can kind of uh, telegraph a certain thing and then actually crisscross them and do something different, you know? Yeah, so it, it that's a probably a, a larger topic, but it's a it's a really it's a game that is has high player skill, which we like a game that requires us to get good at it to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Right, and I like a game with a pretty low uh
1: low chance or randomness. Right, I don't like getting unlucky. Um, like in Destiny you you roll a bunch of dice. Right. And I kind of appreciate that cuz then it makes you kind of uh plan or try to like hedge your bets or like do well despite your roll, which mm-hmm. is like a whole another thing. But um I do like that this game is like pretty much all skill. Like you draw good combos, but it's, you know, your hands are
0: pretty consistent. Maybe you have a dud turn, but then you just defend. Yeah. Well, um, you, it also has that that beautifulness that I think you need in a two-player game where it basically is a you go, I go, you know, a call and response situation, which is one of the things that really appealed to us in Destiny, like even the fact that you had a perhaps a die showing a resource and a card in a handful of cards that your opponent then thinks about, OK, I have one action now to respond to that resource. That resource could turn into anything because they have four cards in hand, you know, um, and so that is also similar in flesh and blood. That give and take, and that um, what do you like to call it? Tit for tat.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And there, there's a lot
0: of very like, uh,
1: you know, like very tight player interaction. You're like
0: definitely dueling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's interesting too that since you start with all your equipment and your equipment breaks. Over the course of the game. That in a lot of games you ramp up. Into unstoppableness. But in this actually it feels. A little bit more. Um, dare I say realistic. Totally you get
1: <laughs> just more and more battered. Totally you bash
0: each other. Yeah you your equipment breaks. You're running out of a steam. You know attack. The, the power or the ability to attack. As well as you were when you were fresh in the game. Um, all that's really appealing. So but. Hopefully there are some people that are listening to our podcast and have never played Flesh and Blood and for some reason are listening to our podcast first. Yeah, I'm and... not sure how that would happen, but I hope you're really...
1: Decking... Oh, can I swear on this podcast? I think
0: you can swear. All right, I hope you're fucking sold. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, it's excellent. Um, so that's enough about that stuff. That's a good pitch. I think uh, anybody would be into it. Let's talk about how we have chosen to play this game during a global pandemic in the United States.
1: Um, well, so we're very fortunate to live in a very rural area. And, um, so there's basically four of us starting to play this game. And, um, some of us have to work in person, some work from home, but it's, uh, some of us don't work. Right. (laughs) So, uh, So it is pretty tough. Like we're not going to be going to any game shops to play any tournaments soon, Mm -hmm. which kind of sucks for everybody, I'm sure. But for us, we already know four people who are interested in playing. And uh, we can, because we're all isolated enough and are careful enough. And, uh, you know, like I go to work with one other person outside, um, you know, and it varies for all of us. But I think, um, so we choose to play this game in person
0: together in the flesh and blood <laughs> nice <laughs> nice nailed it yeah nailed it This podcast is gonna blow up Woo.
1: um but uh so yeah we we're like very careful in our lives but we uh choose to like play this in person the four of us together uh we haven't totally gotten started yet but you know you and i have played a few times um
0: uh, do you want to talk about that at all or do you sure yeah so what we're doing with the four of us is we're we're splitting all the cards basically um in a nutshell uh technically we're we're doing two um let me see how to explain this so me and another one of the players have split uh four boxes total two from welcome to wraith and two from arcane rising and so that's going to be kind of our base level for all of our generics and you isaac and the you as in the person i'm talking to isaac and then another person who's in our play group are going to do um the same thing you guys just need to get two more boxes and then you'll have your your base of cards um so we're doing that so we're we're splitting it that way and then moving forward with the upcoming crucible of war we are splitting those boxes four ways so we're going to do our best to split up the generic cards as evenly as possible. And then each of us has also picked two classes um, to play. So if you don't know, for some reason in Flesh and Blood, there are eight classes, four from Welcome to Wraith and four from Arcane Rising. Um, and that's probably, going back to the design of this game briefly, one of the most uh, I think incredible things is how they have created eight unique uh, heroes that play differently, but still can have certain archetypes of like uh, full on aggro or kind of a mid range or controlling type of deck. Like you can, with all of these different heroes, you can kind of make those types of decks, which is incredible. Yeah. It's uh, pretty,
1: it's pretty crazy. Under the same uh, pretty simple game rules or mechanics, they've created like, like when we, when I drafted the ranger and uh, my buddy drafted the mechanologist, mm-hmm. and we just played. It's like crazy. He's playing a totally different game <laughs> yeah. than I am. Yeah. Um. Kind of within the same rule set, but it's really. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess they're not. They're not playing with hugely different mechanics. Just the like inventiveness of creating these different, how these different characters yeah. behave so differently, and
0: and it creates a, a really strong theme around each character. You know, when you look at the art of the Mechanologist, Dash, um, that that hero it, it has a smile on their face and is running around, and that's kind of what it feels like when you play the Mechanologist and you're boosting cards and you're you got all these gadgets and stuff, you know. You're going a million miles an hour, um, zero yeah, to six, zero been to been sixty. Stuff apart, I think is one of the cards and, yeah, yeah, totally. In that, in and, and that's so fun to have a character that's like that, or like my favorite character, um, the Runeblade, is like a Darth Vader type. You know, like um, just kind of slowly coming down the corridor, defeating everything in his path. It's just an unstoppable force. You know, it's um, very appealing in that way. Also,
1: they're not uh, kind of your classic. I kind of like that they're not. Uh, it's not like you get like a dwarf with a hammer. And, yeah. Uh, and a, like elf with a bow or what, you know, it's yeah. like the first characters. One's the showstopper. Right. Which is like looks kind of douchey, but it's pretty rad. Actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Giant hammer. Robin Hood type character, you know, <laughs> yeah, large chest <laughs> men and women and children, young and old love him.
1: Yeah. So it's just out of your first four starting characters that they choose to make this mm-hmm. one. You know, it's like it's really kind of refreshing.
0: Yeah. And even the brute, you know, like my I, I will have to say I was a bit biased against the brute because of its name. Right. In a typical uh, fantasy themed game that had a character named the brute they would just be a big dummy right but actually Reinar is a super thoughtful complex deck that other than him looking like a giant scary oaf uh you have to be quite sharp to be able to play that deck really well and i think that is such a great um thing that Legend Story Studios has done when creating this game is to say, we want a brute ish character, but we're going to make it feel like a brute, but not like a typical big dummy that you've felt before in other games. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: But you still get to tribally smash things. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to be pretty intelligent to pull it off.
0: Yeah, which is just, oh, gosh. Yeah. So we could go on and on about how much we love this game. But so that's how we've decided to play the game is if you're out there and you're a lone collector and you can somehow scrounge together three other people um i think you could have like a really great experience how about let's talk about um which classes you have chosen to play as or heroes and why
1: um wait i want to explain like what we're doing a little bit more first oh sure um so also i you know i'm not very interested in this or tech savvy or whatever to like get this whole thing up. but you could probably play
0: like some sort of zoom matches against each other too. If you got, I think it's together. on tabletop simulator also. Oh, okay, Yeah. Well, that's pretty clunky, but I think the disc, sure. the discord also maybe has a web browser. I think I saw that the other day. I get distracted by all the spoilers that come up every day. So I'm not checking <laughs> other so thing You're doing just gets derailed. The <laughs> yeah, <spoilers>. totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, But go ahead, go on. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, so what we're doing is uh, we buy four boxes. We bought four boxes from each set because we're buying a little catch-up. We're buying four boxes of the upcoming third set, and then there's not another set until March or so. So we're kind of playing catch-up, so it's a little more expensive, but then it's like pretty affordable after that. Um, So what we're doing, though, is just four of us, we each choose two characters. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's enough generics... I mean, we're just doing this now, so we'll let you know if we're into any hiccups. But it's been pretty smooth. Um, there's enough generics in general to just go around. That's fine. And then we each choose a character, like I'm playing the Ranger. I think we're
0: playing Blitz decks, too. So that's right. that's another noted thing. Correct. There might which might if, be a little bit less to go around if we were doing full standard construction. So if you don't know, Blitz is a new format that's on the Flesh and Blood website. It's instead of the standard 60 cards with a 20 card sideboard. It's a 40 card deck with a 12 card sideboard, but those 12 cards have to be weapons and equipment. And in that 40 card deck, you can only have two copies rather than three. So, right. So there you go. And we, uh,
1: we're, because we're new, we're working our way up to playing standard and blitz and they're both like legitimate ways to play the game. It's not like the tutorial and then the real version. Right, you know, they're just two different methods. Um, so we would like to also play standard. It's just like a lot to learn um, with the complexity. It's easy to, it's just easier to build a forty-card deck. Yeah. Um, I am kind of interested in double the health. How that the strategy will play out that way, mm-hmm. um, but we'll we'll come to that later. Yeah, that'll be an
0: episode later, as when we have enough cards to do that <laughs> <laughs> so
1: basically i just we open four boxes and i get all of the ranger cards right and then also my share of the generics and that's more than enough to make a
0: deck yeah and then taylor gets all of the rune rune blood rune blade yeah so arc knight. Viseray <laughs> is a rune blade his nickname is rune blood but he's also an arc knight. so right just so you get all those cards I get all of so
1: those. instead of like Uh, if i was playing on my own and going to you know trying to go to shops and play with people and you know just uh kind of flying more solo you would be just buying box after box or maybe spending a lot on singles to like accumulate every ranger card but by dividing up the characters um it's a lot easier for us to kind of like get I mean, we don't have, like, two of each majestic, but it's a lot easier for us to get, like, all the rares and then, like, a number of really good cards to have, like, a viable deck. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to cost us, like, maybe 80 bucks each per set to have, like, basically a whole two box very ourself. competitive decks. Yeah. You know, which is, like, a lot a lot more affordable than you know buying like nine boxes yourself just hunting for majestics or whatever right
0: i mean i would say if, if you were a person doing that i would say you should just buy singles unless you just right. love the fact that opening packs is really fun you right. know it's the that dopamine that's,
1: that's part of our plan too is if we're missing one card
0: then you can just order a single yeah you know? and that's up to each player um if if they want to order their own super rares or majestics or even Legendary cards for their deck, they're more than happy to do that. If for some reason the power level of their deck gets too high, then we have to ban some cards, just so it stays um, competitive. Right, in our small pool. In our small pool of four people. Is this your idea, or did you read about this? Um, So Some of this credit goes to um, Team Covenant in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, So If for some reason you're listening to our stuff and haven't been watching... Their live plays, Um, they play every Tuesday at, uh, I think it's 11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or it's 11 central time. I don't know. Go to their website, their Instagram, their YouTube. Uh, It's Team Covenant. So they theorized about how they would start with this, um, which they're pretty funny about it because they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to stick to this. But since they're game store owners, they're like... Actually I want to open some more packs and they just like whip out another box, you know, start opening some more packs. Have high psych and no self-control and just (laughs) like a closet full of boxes. Yeah, what would you do if there was like four boxes right there? (laughs) I mean we'd be drafting right now instead of making this podcast. Instead of making this podcast. So so I got the idea from them is that we could start with um, a limited card pool split between the four of us because A, there's eight characters, so we would each get two And then we could slowly over the course of the game, because there's a pandemic and we don't need to worry about um, a, a actual local meta where we live, that we could slowly build our card pool and work our way from blitz decks to full constructed decks with 20 card sideboards and that sort of thing. Which I think is going to be pretty close after we get done with opening all our boosters from Crucible of War. Crucible of War, sorry. Excuse me. I don't. Th- I don't think they care. Also, Team Covenant. You can send us
1: any swag for a shout out. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow, they're gonna make a lot of money off this. Yeah, totally. Buzz market them, baby. <laughs> Love those guys. All um, right. What's next? So I just want to make that clear because it's. I think it's a very good idea, and uh, you know, it's like an easy way for you to get into this game. Um, it's not like a lot of other games. You're hunting you're kind of all hunting for the same rare cards to make your deck really good. Or yeah. maybe not all the same, but it it's like more that way. This game, we can totally... You can totally split up the cards and nobody's upset, and you can have two very viable, good decks.
0: Yeah, in this small card pool, I think if we were to... Or the small meta, if we were to expand this to 20 people and we are at a store, I think that perhaps our... <clears throat> Great skill as players would make up some of the difference in the fact that we maybe don't have some of the higher, more competitive level or like just the more rare cards, you know, like three copies of all the majestics and super rares and that sort of thing. Right.
1: But in in Blitz, you only need two, so that helps our thing. Yeah,
0: totally. But another point I have about this game, which that brings me to, which I'll get to which classes we're playing to in a second here, is how the game design allows for uh blitz noobs like us to be able to kind of throw some cards together and not get creamed. Or at least that's how it feels. So you could be listening to our podcast and you're in New Zealand and you're um let's say Matt Rogers, like the greatest flesh and blood player ever. He's like winning everything with multiple characters.
1: Oh well, good for him. Yeah,
0: totally. Great guy. Um, great place yeah he's probably going stupid uh americans in your confidence idiots (laughs) so that (laughs) no nobody ever says that ever (laughs) so so that could be happening um oh man i derailed myself but anyway let what characters have you chosen isaac who's your number one okay i love the ranger
1: um i don't so uh i'll be getting into this more um as I get more free time, I've been working a ton and Taylor like found this game and got us into it and kind of did all the footwork and has like played five times more than me, like not much, but anyway, so I like don't know much of the meta or what's happening or anything. Um, But I picked the Ranger uh, because uh, I don't know. She's just tons of fun. You, uh, as you load arrows or slot arrows, from your quiver into your arsenal it's like pulling your bow back and shooting them
0: yeah so, um, so arsenal is a specific zone in the play right. area
1: right yeah um you know when if you're not playing yet once you start playing you'll you'll know what i'm talking about um i don't she's like so i've been losing some and uh i'm losing quite sh- a bit <laughs> to me um yeah taylor beat me three out of four rounds or something but anyway this is just the preseason <laughs> calm down talk shit later. Um, I just really enjoy the Ranger it has a uh, I guess like a complexity that really appeals to me. It's like this weird um, this weird combo I don't know she's like hard to figure out and the toughest time I'm having is uh having like any kind of viable defense in my deck. Um, because you can get massive combo turns pretty often. Um, but if you have kind of a dud turn or just a normal turn, I uh, I don't know. I, my cards aren't very good defensively. Um, I'm also learning. Um, so I had a hard time learning that, uh, and I'm still learning, that if Taylor attacks me and I have an okay hand it's better to just defend and get rid of the momentum because I will just take 10 damage and then have my okay turn. And then Taylor can turn the momentum anyway. It's like only good to take a bunch of damage to keep the momentum. If I'm just going to like blow them out harder next turn. Yeah. So like, anyway, that's been a little bit hard for me to learn. I think kind of compounded by the fact that the ranger seems like power play, aggressive kind of damage, weak defense character. Um, but, I don't know. I can't describe it. If uh, just if you play the ranger, you know what I'm talking about. She's like very... The mechanics are very cool. Um, the other character I'm playing
0: is the brute, most likely. And you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. He said brute. <laughs> He's playing the brute. He's picked it finally. It's on the internet for everyone to hear. Continue. Thanks. <laughs> um... I don't know. My my
1: buddy I think is interested in the ninja, and I'm uh, going to play the brute. I'm pretty sure. Which uh, I'm very into, but I've only played a couple of times, so I don't have any uh, very strong opinions. But uh, like you touched on, playing the brute is like a I don't know. You're playing this finesse game to then like smash them really hard once. <laughs> yeah. Or or maybe there's like more um, more ways to play it, and I'm sure the game is gonna get blown apart with this new set anyway that's how i found it so far um and it's really it's really like player friendly because uh every character is really difficult to master as we've said um so two decks is like quite enough for quite a while and well i guess that's it
0: yeah excellent so you're a ranger brute player yeah. The old BRRB. It's great. Totally. I'm going to figure it out, though. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it. Um, the Brute's uh, ability to discard cards from your hand is uh, it's pretty powerful. Um, so for myself, um, from Welcome to Wraith, I'm playing uh, Dorinthia the Warrior. Um, I'm a big sword guy. Uh, as you can attest to, being at my wedding part of my wedding ceremony was me presenting my ancestral blade to my wife wielded a sword wielded a sword at my wedding um i guess technically you're the actual sword guy since you actually have a collection of swords but when i was a kid i liked swords a lot yeah totally same as a as a small child all i wanted to do Was be some sort of warrior with a sword and would like, you know, pick up sticks and run around the yard pretending I was defeating bad guys. So, Dorinthia appealed to me out of that first set already because of the Dawn Blade and how she's very weapon centric. And I think that's uh, one of the really appealing parts of this game. So, she's always attacking with her Dawn Blade and she has all of these um, attack reactions and. Uh, reprise effect that if your uh, opponent defends with a card from hand then that triggers an ability for you um and that's really exciting um and it gets even more exciting when we talk about uh the new blitz hero which we'll get to we'll get there my second class um stays on theme with swords and i went for the rune blade um I really like, so if I were to ever play um, RPGs like video games and that sort of thing which I do and have, I usually like characters that deal both with a sword and magic, right? And so the Runeblade gets to do that by creating rune chance and dealing arcane damage uh, while he does that. Now they, even though they both have similar sharp pointy weapons, they play very differently. The Runeblade feels much more slow and methodical um and is really kind of creating two different types of resources i guess or is using rune chants as a separate resource and you have to have like a rune chant resource engine to be able to make your really powerful cards uh less expensive um and the artwork is really cool and if you go on the the flesh and blood website the um backstory for him is is a ton of fun to read, and I really enjoyed that, and that's kind of solidified it for me.
1: Also, these characters are like they're not. I feel like maybe I'm making them sound kind of one-dimensional, and maybe in like the, you know, the highest level of play in the game right now. I don't know how many decks are viable, really, but just in general, playing together, um, the characters are very like. For example, the last time I played you with the Rune Blade, right. you had a deck built that kind of hits you four with the sword and then for two or three rune chants that right. are all separate attacks and it's kind of tricky um every turn you know and then i played him today he's he totally changed his rune chant deck and it's more of this slow engine where i don't know he just has like nothing turns but then defends pretty well and then just every other turn is maybe like swinging for seven with seven rune chance or something crazy. So you like changed it around quite a bit
0: with even this like limited card pool. Well, what's interesting about that is that I only changed maybe five cards out of the 40, right? And I the impetus of that was because I wanted it to be more flexible. So I could have those big turns and defend, but I also, um, which you might uh, feel the wrath of later when we play him again, and I might swing with his... The nebula blade more often based on the matchup it just was like the way you were playing the ranger and shooting me with um repeated arrows it was hard for me to get any footing but i was able to still build up rune chance on my turn so right. when i did find a little bit of a hole they wound up being pretty blowout turns yeah i just uh it's like a small card pool right now totally
1: especially with your character cards yeah but uh The fact that you're able to play two pretty different ways, um, just how you pilot the deck, is very interesting. Yeah. Um, And we'll only get more overarchingly complex with more cards. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Which is a good little segue, which we'll um, use this this small break um, here in the conversation to move on to um, kind of our thoughts on Welcome to Wraith, initial thoughts on that, and then... What it was like after playing with those cars exclusively to um, Arcane Rising. And then from that, we'll talk about our thoughts and hopes for Crucible of War. And then we'll get into our top five spoilers. How's that sound? Great. Excellent. Um, So let's talk about Welcome to Wraith. So in the Welcome to Wraith box, you get uh, Bravo, the Showstopper, Guardian, uh, Reinar, the Brute, ketsu the wanderer ninja and dorinthia um the warrior i think her nickname's iron song i should know that i think it is um and so let's talk about how those just generally how those characters feel just like kind of right out of the box getting to play them oh sure um
1: so they're all uh so the first time i played this game as them uh we also bought the starter packs yeah we should know um there you kind of appreciate how complex it can be to play a deck but they're all pretty playable your first go around um which is nice
0: um but they're the decks don't seem dumbed down at all right um, yeah you can see you can uh make decisions on your turn that are meaningful but then as you play through probably one game you can see the depth that the game has
1: right yeah um, so the ninja is, you know, a ninja. That's kind of one of the more classic yeah, um, class types. Uh, he's highly combo-based, um, kind of pinging in damage. He has two weapons that each only do one damage. But in order to defend against damage, you have to burn at least one card out of your four-card hand. Yeah. So him playing many cards makes it very difficult for the opponent to block much damage or any amount or, of damage and still have yeah. a viable hand there's for this, later
0: there's a strategy into blocking um because of right. his combos and that sort of thing right. so yeah but he could
1: hit you with a three card combo and one of his right. katanas or something mm-hmm. um the brute is a like giant you know forest brute
0: um yeah, he has he, a he has a big club and his big mechanic is intimidate Which makes you discard cards out of your hand. Right. Which is like, you know, you run up on him and he scares you and you drop your sword. Yeah. And you have less to defend with.
1: You feel very intimidated as you're (laughs) sitting there shaking in your boots with like two quivering cards. (laughs) And then he intimidates again and you just drop another one. Yeah. And like can't effectively defend.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's
1: like pretty spot on
0: and an interesting um, mechanic. Yeah, so I think the overarching is that in Welcome to Wraith you can, um, you can kind of really jump into the game really easily and then uh, with reps playing different cards and characters you can really start to understand the game. But what I did not expect was how much of a jump in game design that Arcane Rising was going to have. Right. Wait, so, why
1: don't you tell him real quick about Showstopper and Warrior? Or oh, you sure. I mentioned Warrior. Yes, yeah,
0: so I'd mentioned Warrior before, and then uh, the Guardian player is uh, trying to dominate. So, the Dominate is a mechanic where you can only defend with one card rather than only having one card in hand to defend with. And then a lot of his cards have Crush, So if you, which is a key word, and if you defend poorly against those, they have an added effect. Like your turn your next attack costs more, or your next attack deals less damage, or he breaks all of your equipment or, or whatever. Um, which is huge. Yeah, which is huge. He has it's a big hammer. Yeah, he has a big hammer and he and he's getting a bigger hammer in this right. next set. Which is one of the cards I'll talk about. Oh fun. Um so then moving on to Arcane Rising, they introduce Arcane Damage which um, in a game mechanics standpoint attacks uh, a deck's cost curve. So you can only block uh, arcane damage with resources, not the defense value on your card. Right. Yeah. So it makes it uh, really interesting and is also a nice counter to uh, low-cost curve aggro decks rather than filling your deck with a bunch of defense reaction cards you can still be on the offensive and punish the other player rather than reacting to an aggressive style of play
1: right and there's kind of two types of arcane damage they introduce basically the rune blade rune chance pings you with rune chance for you know if you have six rune chance out they're all one damage from separate cards right the wizard hits you with five arcane damage at once. And the way to handle these things is a little different sometimes. Yeah. It's like a different method of going about it.
0: Totally. Which we don't have to get into too deeply. Um, hit us up on discord at uh, Mr. Beefhammer. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and I'll help you. But there's probably better people on discord for you to talk to. Um, but my my point about arcane rising is the, the leap in the game depth and perhaps maybe enjoyment to to see like whoa they're doing this with the cards and this with the characters like if i wasn't sold before i was sold then you know like now we have these fantastical characters we have a character with a gun the mechanologist we have a wizard who changes all of his cards into instance and can burn you down on your turn we yeah, have, while you're attacking. He just hits you right back. Yeah, hits you right back. <laughs> Punishes you. Um, you have a ranger now who literally takes a card from their hand and draws it back behind their bow to then launch it forward. You know, they they really opened up the or played with the elements of the game in an extremely satisfying way, and has me like so much more hooked on this game than I thought I was probably going to be. And I think, so the
1: idea with the third set, unfortunately the third set is not draftable or you could probably figure out a way to do it or use old boosters also or what. but Mm -hmm. it's not built for draft, but it's meant to flesh out everything.
0: Yeah. I think in one of the articles, it says they want every pack to feel like a treasure trove, which when you open a pack, it already feels like a treasure trove, you know? So, to open. <laughs> yeah, right. So, now when you are going to open these uh, Crucible packs, it's I can't imagine how bananas it, it's going to be, especially when looking at all of the spoilers that have been spoiled.
1: Uh, just a, qu- a few uh, quick notes for anybody who doesn't know. I guess so. This game's been in development for like seven years yeah. before it was released. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much they created ahead of time, but at least these first maybe three sets were already created. Um, so again, they're not just, uh, there's not just a power creep to sell you better cards to replace your old cards. Like these are like planned out, um, sets of cards to like build on and expand and supplement the game. Um, which again was a huge selling point,
0: not pay to win. Yeah. It's really interesting. I suppose I've heard some people talk about how magic will do this, have some core sets and the supplemental sets. Um, Which, I don't know, I don't play Magic, but I love this idea. So if they're stealing it from Magic, possibly because they've been around for so long. I do love the idea of some kind of more core sets and then a supplemental set to just like blow your mind. Like I can't believe what this game is going to be like after six sets, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be crazy. So how about let's talk about spoilers. So we each have picked five of the... um, spoilers that have happened and uh we're going to talk about those but there's actually one extremely special one that happened right as we were um about to start recording and uh that's the uh traitor of skins yeah i don't know what is happening Cavadin. here it's funny that we
1: just saw this like five minutes before yeah, the podcast happened, fresh because i don't take i don't know what to
0: say about his action or would you like to read his action? Yeah, sure. So I'll read the, the whole card. Uh, it's Cavadin, Trader of Skins. Um, he is a Merchant Hero, the young version. He has a uh, 4 intellect and 20 health. Which, Merchant Hero is like a new thing.
1: So is yeah. he a new class? Or is he a Trader of Skins that just puts on the
0: skins of other classes? Or, there, you know, what? I'm not sure, because there has been that, that shapeshifter, quote-unquote, class... Or, you know, there's a tiny spoiler that says shapeshifter. Okay. But I think it also said legendary. And what can we see on this card is that he's a rare. So it's really, there's a lot to go on. He also kind of has um, a brute border, you know, that kind of looks like the brute cards. Is that exactly like the brute? Oh, no, maybe it's more of a ranger. Now that you have the ranger. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, um, he's a devilish looking man with a uh, kind of a Beetlejuice motif with a metal mechanical arm. And perhaps he's holding a heart. (laughs) Probably a bloody heart. Yeah, and there's like like a cleaver in the background and jars full of stuff. It's it's gruesome. If this is speaking to you, your prayers have been answered. This character is uh, different than any we've seen. Exactly. So he has a once per turn action, which costs three. If a hero has more health than another hero, they lose one health and create a copper token. Then if a hero has less health than any other hero, they gain one health, go again. And so a copper token is a card that has also an action that costs four and you destroy it and you get a draw card and as go again. So is this so there's also A format of play which maybe this character is a part of um, is ultimate pit fighter which is flesh and blood's version of multiplayer so just because the way the wording is on that card any other player in health lowering perhaps he's a character that's specifically for that format maybe I, (laughs) i will we
1: haven't played that format yet yeah um i know in other card games they tried to have a multiplayer that never really took off right there's just a, technically a way you can play with more than one person right. but it it doesn't work that well um mm-hmm. maybe it will in this game i don't know but um it's certainly worded so that if you are playing multiplayer it'll uh it'll take off
0: yeah definitely it definitely will okay so you might be able to Um, ascertain that there's some sort of weird bird in the background, and our good buddy, who is also playing Flesh and Blood with us, decided that he would uh, make bird noises outside the window. What's up, Mitch? Yeah, that's me. (laughs) And so now he's here sorting cards also. Um, So sorry if there's like a weird part in this podcast, but that is the beauty of the internet, pandemics, and podcasts, is that you get real life situations where we have to stop the podcast and tell Mitch to shut up and come inside and sort cards or something.
1: Also earlier, Taylor's dog maybe has never met a cat before. So they were like kind of sorting that out in our small
0: room here. You guys are getting the, the full, full experience of what it's like to live in the middle of nowhere during a global pandemic.
1: Okay. Back to trader of skins. Um, this card is pretty expensive to use as ability but uh there seem to be a lot of cards spoiled that cost quite a bit so i'm sure there are many mechanics yeah. coming out that uh provide you with you know bonus pool yeah exactly of like
0: copper tokens like is a card worth four resources
1: no way never but, but you know with some other mechanics or cards obviously yeah so. there's
0: another card cashed in which we don't have to get to, but we're going to get to our um, five spoiled cards. But there, that's Cavadin, um, Trader of Skins. Pretty weird. I'm excited to see the rest of the set and see where this guy lands, and to hear what the rest of the community has to say about where he fits into any sort of meta or that sort of thing. Okay, Isaac. So we'll go back and forth. So how about let's start with you for with one of yours, and then we'll go back to me. Okay, maybe my favorite new card, uh, you
1: probably could have de- guessed, is the new uh, the new bow for the ranger. What's it called? Uh, Redliner? Redliner. Uh, I don't have it pulled up. Oh, I okay. can't look. Um, but because I, I think it's really interesting. Um, initially, I thought uh, it sounded just like better. So for free, you just get to slot an arrow... Into your arsenal for free. Whereas Death Dealer costs one resource. You may slot a card in your arsenal or an arrow Arrow, into your arsenal from your hand. And then if you do, draw a card. Right. So initially I thought this new bow just sounded like an upgrade, right? It's like free. Just put an arrow from your hand into your arsenal. But what I found, um, and I'm not sure if this is the correct way to play Azalea, but what I found from like the strategy I was going for um, is that I would pitch a yellow card for two resources to pay for Death Dealer's ability. Mm-hmm. Then I would have a resource floating for whatever arrow I had, had slotted in, and then I would draw a card that could be used for resources later. So... I'm thinking that maybe we'll see how it plays out, but I'm thinking maybe I might prefer Death Dealer because you get to cycle, you get to kind of cycle a card in your hand and maybe have a resource floating versus just being one card short for free. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. maybe the new bow is just like fast and light and more efficient. But uh, just just paying its cost with the yellow and having a resource floating for the arrow and then drawing again. Was just like, it just seemed like you got more bang for your buck. The only, like, slightly annoying aspect of that was, uh, you know, that you had to have a resource up front. Right. But that didn't become a problem too often because usually later on you're going to have to pay for an error or something anyway. Um, but anyway, we'll see how that plays out. It's just like two uh, very similar bows, but we'll probably, I don't know, it seems to
0: affect how you play differently right i i think that's a great theme through all of the um cards spoiled um or at least the weapons anyway is that they're not actually an upgrade they're a side grade for different strategies which i think is exactly what you want in a game like this that has equipment and weapons and stuff that you can bring to the table the exact same characters but with a different load out with your own special spice on it and so that will bring me to one of my spoilers um, is as a warrior player i'm really excited about the centauri saber Um, it's a warrior weapon it's one-handed sword once per turn action costs you a resource attack if centauri saber is defended by an attack action card it gains plus one until end of turn and it has an attack of two so really interesting Because Warrior has abilities to be able to give their weapons go again. It's one handed, so you could wield two of them. But at the same time, the Warrior, or the, excuse me, the Centauri Saber gets plus one until end of turn if it's defended by an attack action card. So you could technically run one of these. And try to attack as many times as possible because now it's a three and maybe buff it with reactions or something. I think obviously the the first thing I'm going to do is try to have two of those out and see what um, the warrior characters feel like. That's what right, I said characters. We'll get to that um, with two weapons. Any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, no, I haven't played the warrior much and uh, she's kind of a... Uh... Like a fencer like a duelist um with her sword so the amount of the game that gets opened up from her little like power combo plays having two different swords combined with her cards is just bananas oh yeah but i you know i i don't know her deck very well enough to like weigh in on that yeah Um, it's pretty nuts though that they released that Mm -hmm. for her it's kind of like the the Two one-handed weapons for the brute. Yeah, you same know, thing like the class. saying? the game. Yeah,
0: potentially. Potentially. Um, so, do you have a, another card pulled up for us here that you want to talk about? Um, there's a few
1: cards that, like I mentioned earlier, I'm having trouble with. Uh, defense is the ranger. So there's a number of cards like Feign Death I love. Excellent. Um, there's Rock Slide, Trap, and Tripwire, and probably others that are... Uh, less generic ways for the ranger to defend so instead of like as the ranger you don't have many defensive cards a lot of your cards maybe only defend for two um you want to hold on to your cards just to do they also have reloads do those traps have reload i'm not sure (laughs) but uh i do really like feign death because it's like i think it's pay one when you uh when you take damage you prevent all the next damage. Oh, Taylor just pulled it up. Play Fain Death only if you have been dealt damage this turn. Yep. The next time you would be dealt damage this turn, prevent it. What's interesting? Uh, it's too- a Ranger instant. Yeah, that's how I was costs- say. So it does cost one. So on defense, your your resources from offense will be reset. So on defense, you will have to pay one for that card. But um, playing very heavy hitter
0: classes, very like tall not wide damage that card's huge yeah so the ranger defense traps do not have reload right so that's what you're sacrificing is it's kind of more of a potent feck um potent effect without um to get an arrow into your arsenal
1: um i've just found that uh some of the classic like defensive reactions or even like ranger defensive reactions are kind of like Uh, I put the yellow ones in my deck, maybe so I could pitch them for resources. So, ideally, you would get them in your arsenal and then use them out of it and maybe reload. But if you just draw them on your turn, you know, you can defend with it, but then they just seem to like uh, hamper your combos coming up. Um, These cards are kind of in the same vein. You still have to play them defensively and it makes your hand smaller, but they seem like more interesting and more deployable, maybe for the ranger, um, without just having like a totally. You have your hard-hitting attack-cheap combo, and then you're trying to fit in enough just totally separate defensive cards. Um, I'm really interested to see how the traps meld with your deck
0: yeah, with your strategy. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, all great points. Hey, thanks. Co-host buddy, <laughs> battle bro. <laughs> um, my next card is Kasai Centauri Sword. So she's the new warrior hero. Um, She's the young version. She has a 4 intellect and 20 health. Her card reads, your second sword attack each turn costs one less. At the beginning of your end phase, if you have attacked with two or... Sorry, excuse me. If you have attacked two or more times with a weapon this turn, create a copper token for each weapon attack that hit. So she is obviously wanting to use um the centauri sabers so she wants both swords she looks like it too she's like
1: fast and light not the armor clad original warrior yeah exactly
0: um and she wants to be able to hit with those bad boys as many times as possible and create copper tokens which again uh cost four to destroy it and then draw a card so I, I, I wish I... She also has this really cool border that's like um, hot lava. Or magma. I'm not sure. You know what the difference is? I do. It's lava on the surface? Boom. Nailed it. Yep. There you go. You're so smart. <laughs> well, so is this a cutaway or... A, never mind. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> uh, but really interesting. I'm so excited to have not only more weapons for warrior but also more warriors to play with, especially in Blitz because of our um, way we've chosen to play the game. Like That's just going to really open up a lot of options for us in the fact that we have two characters that we're playing. We now potentially will get like a third within the same class. So you don't even really need that many more cards to play in a different way, which I think is really great. Um, I'm excited to see where these copper tokens come out because there's one card i think it's cash in where you get a uh play copper tokens gold tokens and silver tokens instead of its resource or something like that um uh, and so that what that card signifies to me is that there's going to be like a whole other perhaps resource mechanic in the game that you may or may not want to buy into <laughs> Just really interesting. There's a lot of design points here, and I'm really excited to sit down with all the cards in front of me and figure out a sweet new warrior deck that's maybe more s- still saber centric, but less about trying to make your sword as tall as possible. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now there's like maybe money in the game, which apparently we haven't been buying things with money resources are different than money but we'll see how all that plays out yep um so i'm just going to talk about two things briefly just the sledge of anvilheim great name by the way yeah it's a great (laughs) name nailed it um i think it's cool yeah the sledge um so i really like this weapon it's the new hammer for the guardian um because well i don't I'm not saying it's good yet. I just really like it because yeah. it costs four to attack yeah, and it hits for six. Right. So initially you're like, that's not cost effective at all. Right. No, go again. Cost four to attack. Yeah. But then you start thinking about the guardian. And so if you have two blues to pitch for six resources, then you can just swing this hammer for six and spend two resources to buff it. Right. So you're, I don't know, pretty consistently maybe just swinging your hammer for like 10 a turn. Yeah. Which is crazy,
0: um, assuming you have a four-card hand to attack with. But, uh... Right. With something I, you were probably already doing as the Guardian anyway, to be able to give Anothos that plus two for it to swing for six already. So it's kind of like... uh There's no gimmicks now, right? Right. You know exactly what you got to do, and your opponent knows exactly what's coming. The sledgehammer's coming for you. And
1: we'll see, because that kind of... Because this hammer relies on... Because six is maybe not enough for four cost on its own. Maybe needs to be buffed to make your turn effective. Especially without Intimidate. Or Dominate. Right. Or Dominate, right. Um, So, we'll see... How this plays out like players hopefully will be able to wield this effectively um because you have to defend and then you have to pay for a four cost hammer or maybe it's just your like ace in the hole maybe it's for the end game when you just play one card and then you just smash with the hammer every yeah. turn well uh, i
0: mean so it's number six already makes it so that's if your opponent wants to take zero damage they either need to be the warrior and have steel blade shunt red which defends for six, or unmovable any color, and it comes from the arsenal. It, unmovable play um, defends for five, but if it comes from the arsenal, it defends for six. That, that's not most of the time, though. This thing can swing every turn. Right, totally. So, like, once in a while you can get away with... Well, it's still two cards, because you got to pitch cards to play those. So no matter <clears> what, you're getting two cards out of your opponent's hand, which is really efficient. You just have their turn every single turn you know and eventually that's probably got to fatigue your opponent and then they can't withstand the crushing blow from the totally. sledge
1: but well it's pretty expensive we'll see if players can pull it off i yeah. mean this thing with a buff costs two or three times more than my whole ranger turn you know? <laughs> yeah so we'll see um and then also the zephyr needle the new ninja. Oh yeah, those are crazy the new ninja weapons. Um, I don't. So this is a new mechanic in the game. Um, these uh, one-handed weapons that are new for the ninja get once per turn action, pay a resource, attack, go again. It hits for two. Mm-hmm. But if it is defended by a card with higher defense than its attack, you destroy the needles. So. This is just like an interesting mechanic and I guess my my initial take on it is just like if you don't use the katanas often, if you're pulling Kodachis. off... Kadachis. Right. Yeah. Kadachis often um, and you're just pulling off combos and they're there to kind of ping when you need, then maybe these are just a harder ping late game because they cost the same do twice as much damage. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's just for your low turn or maybe it's for your late game when you need to hit
0: them often. What do you think about this weapon? I think I think it's really interesting. I think initially, right, you see that it breaks. And you're like, well, crap. What am I supposed to do now that my weapon breaks? That doesn't feel like something I want to bring to the battle. But you can have two of them. And I think perhaps there is going to be some sort of build. Because they're daggers, right? So, um, like, Razor Reflex works on it. You know? So they attack, they just defend it for three, and then you can attack reaction and buff it to five, hit for two, doesn't destroy it. So perhaps there's a ninja build that instead of playing the bluff game for combos, you're playing the bluff game for the needles, you know, like you'll be able to go tall with these needles, which is pretty crazy because they're like, like high risk situations, um, so that's my my thought off the cuff. I also wonder, because we've seen another weapon that breaks that's generic, that's a, a sword that will also break. I wonder if there's going to be a generic piece of equipment, and this is probably too far-fetched, but a piece of equipment that's like a backpack that has an extra weapon in it. Right? So it has... And in, in it couldn't be like any weapon, but maybe it could. Like the ninja shows up with two... Dagger, or two of the needles has this backpack with their kadachis in it, throws the needles, you break them, and then gets to play the kadachis right? But that maybe takes a turn. Like, you have to destroy the backpack. You don't get to do anything else except for play your other weapons. Or it could be a backpack full of needles, right? <laughs> so then you're, like, literally, like, throwing stars, right? Totally. Yeah, so maybe that... Who knows? <laughs> maybe in the future. Maybe you're pitching design ideas now. Oh, yeah. Totally. I kind of like that idea, though. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. If you had a backpack just full of trinkets. Yeah, or just hidden daggers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be crazy. So, maybe that's going to happen. Who knows? But regardless, I think it fits into the uh, current card pool.
1: I do like... So, a lot of these spoilers are, like you put it, like kind of sideways moves. Like, they don't seem better. They just seem different and you can't really figure out if they're better or worse or who knows what yeah um so yeah a lot of these spoilers were like pretty psyched some of the cards are just excellent um like remorseless is that what it's called
0: yeah the ranger yeah arrow yeah it's just excellent
1: but uh (laughs) but then a lot of the cards are just you know they're they're just a little bit different and you can't quite
0: figure it out which is going to be really fun to uh
1: Try to mesh these new mechanics. Yeah, totally.
0: In. Gets me giddy and excited. Um, my next card I want to talk about is a Runeblade card. And it's Runeblood Barrier. So it's a yellow. Pitches for two. Costs three. It has uh, It's an aura. And it has two defense. It's a majestic. And its text reads, Create four Runechant tokens. If your hero would be dealt damage instead... Destroy that many rune chants you control and prevent one damage that source would deal for each rune chant destroyed this way. At the beginning of your action phase, destroy rune blood barrier. And it has this incredible artwork of the Knight drawing blood from unknown sources into a bubble barrier. A blood barrier, if you will, around him. It's really cool. If you can't... You can't see, but maybe you can hear it in my voice that I'm doing the exact pose that the Rune Blood is doing. Hopefully, you can hear that. Um, I think this is excellent because already in my Rune Blade deck, I'm running um, Enchanting Melody for off turns where I can have a card out that protects me from damage. And maybe just since that card has Go again, I can create Rune Chance um with separate cards uh speaking of cards you can probably hear those (laughs) um so this does a very similar thing at a slightly higher price but creates four rune chance which if i have something like four out there i have eight and so i can either um just take it all on the rune chance and swing in with something else or um, also add some defense and try to just have way more rune chance. And any spillover will just go to my rune chant defense.
1: I like this card. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because you can play this card on your turn, it's not very cost effective offensively because it costs three to create four rune chance, which is four separate sources of damage. Um, but I like it because in a pinch, or if you're just looking for damage. You can just play this card and then swing with a weapon and have all your rune Well this doesn't have hit.
0: go again. So we'd have to right. figure out if how to give get, it go again. Which your
1: deck gives a lot of things go again. Right, yeah. Right. Lead lead the charge. But you could use these many extra rune chants along with the ones you have as extra damage. Oh. Like it yeah. seems like only defensively, but it also swings Man, offensively great, if you point. if you need it to.
0: Yeah. Wow cool (laughs) that's even better yeah that's even better than i thought it or or just a different um sideways use of it yeah definitely well if you're end game trying to hit them on your last turn you know yeah i mean it definitely would work because you don't have a card that creates four i mean you can kind of do it with a similar amount of cards with uh more tide and um maybe like the mage master boots and, um, creating rune chance, you know, the three card, right? the three, the zero cost three, create three rune chance. So then you can create five that way and then swing in with the nebula blade. But, um, pretty cool from your side. It's pretty annoying when you have yeah. seven rune chance well, and a sword swing at you. <laughs> totally. But what, like you mentioned, I, I see it now is that you can play this, create four, still have your offensive turn. If you can uh, somehow get an extra action point. And then this stays out there, and then any rune chance you have left over after your attack still stay out there and protect you. Right, so you can swing with these four,
1: and then any you create yeah. from your offense. That's incredible. So Again, the... it, it's very expensive, but...
0: Oh, uh, worth it. Reliable. Three resources is worth it for potential offense and defense out of totally. one card. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Um, let's go over to you for another
1: card. Um, I just had one uh, warrior card that caught my eye. It's called Blessing serenity i think and it's just uh it's block three damage from any source or prevent the next three damage or something like that yeah and this just uh not that the card is like especially special but um so far all the mechanic or like most of the mechanics are just defend with a shield on a card mm-hmm. or block arcane damage with uh arcane barrier yeah um with resources right. um there's also irena's prayer which is a little different
0: and blocks yeah and the arcane mechanologist damage. has like a special yeah um, item that helps it with helps them with arcane barrier but anyway my
1: uh just seeing this card it just blocks three damage which was i was thinking they might be kind of uh broadening the way cards defend mm-hmm. you know this card you can like block something the wizard throws at you any sword, any you know anything, right. pretty right. much, um, which is doesn't really exist much now.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, because of the increase in equipment options you have. You can now put cards in your deck for your sideboard that just block damage, right? So if you have equipment that's um, critical to your um, wind condition in your deck you don't have to sacrifice those for something like the Null Rune Hood or that sort of thing other things that give you Arcane Barrier because the um, the Arcane Rising heroes they all have an innate Arcane Barrier in all of their class their um, uh, common class pieces of equipment but Welcome to Wraith heroes do not have that so it's an interesting way for those heroes to maintain power levels against the uh, arcane rising heroes. My next card, um, I think it's gonna be my last one. Uh, if you're counting at home, that is only four, but we're reaching heights of an hour and a half. And since our good friend Mitch is here, we need to, uh, drink beers and play cards. Um, So this is my last card. Clocking out pretty soon here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this uh, card is a generic uh, attack action. Boom. Podcast plug. Anyway. (laughs) um, It's called. (laughs) That's why it's called that. (laughs) Yeah. It's called Promise of Plenty. Um, It's blue. It pitches for three resources because of that cost of zero. It attacks for one. It's a rare and has two defense, and it has a text that reads, If Promise of Plenty hits, each hero who doesn't have a card in their arsenal puts the top card of their deck face down into their arsenal. If Promise of Plenty is played from arsenal, it gains go again. So I think this is uh, just so interesting that perhaps this is maybe for... Um, ultimate pit fighter multiplayer situations but i think even in one-on-one play it's so cool because let's take for example which we've been using a lot is you playing the ranger you probably have a card in your arsenal and i could play promise of plenty from my arsenal for free it's got threatening one attack and if it hits I'm going to get a free card in my arsenal again, right? Which is huge value. So you want to block my measly one damage. Totally. With like a three uh, card that defends for three, which is huge. And, and then I get go again. Right. You know? So yeah. it's like Scour the Battlescape is, is similar to that because it, it, it could be a blue card that costs zero from your arsenal and gets go again and hits for one. But you really don't want to block for that, right? Which is nice, you ping one damage. But this is just like some some extra spice. Can you imagine late game, this comes out, you know, you're down with like five health. And you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I wouldn't know what to do if somebody played that against me. Especially yeah. if we were tied with low health, four health each. And we both didn't have a card in our arsenal. Am I gonna take one to then be at three health? Let you get a card in Arsenal, but let myself get a card in Arsenal? That's bananas. No way, you have less cards to defend with. <laughs> but it could be a defense reaction. I all of a sudden have in my arsenal for your next go again attack.
1: Totally, and it's a blue card. I think is. I think if it wasn't blue, this card would not be very good. Yeah, but it's just like for any deck that needs resources.
0: Well, it's a rare, so it should. I believe that says R. Kind of hard on this image, right? But the one we're looking at is blue, right. which
1: I think is obviously the best version. Well, so then red hits for three. S- still blocked for one card. I almost like the one damage more, more likely to get yeah. through. Yeah, and more resources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Um, so that's it for me. Do you have another spoiler you wanted to talk about, or um, or what do you say? Should we should we sign off with our final segment here? Yeah, I think we should wrap it up. Um, I
1: did not look at all the spoilers. Um, there's a lot of fun things, but like I said, no, they don't seem to be blowout cards. It just seems to be uh, just things to talk about, like yeah. this crazy card you just discussed. Yeah. What's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I do have one uh, thing I want to, I don't know, oh, yeah. this is off topic, <laughs> but I have this card called Rusted Relic uh, in blue. It's a super rare, so it only comes in blue. Riddle me this: Is anybody playing this card? Is it uh, don't excellent? Think so. Is it
0: terrible? If, it's super rare. If you are playing this, please post in the uh, Facebook group or the Discord or hit us up at. Uh, oh gosh, what's our what's our email? Attack Action Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, which totally exists, and we set it up before airing this.
1: Um, but is this the best card in the game two years from now? What is
0: what is this? I don't know. Alright, well, I just... I don't... But that I that don't one's know. for the community. Everybody figure it out. Get back to us on that. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, and maybe later, too, we're going to have some nice little transition music to this part. You know? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Now it's time for Pick, Pass, Pray. The segment where I give you, Isaac, three cards <laughs> in a draft pack scenario and you have to choose which one you're going to pick which one you're going to pass and which one you're going to pray that you get later okay do i are you giving me a character or no no character just these three cards all right let's hear it okay so the three cards are drone of brutality red sigil of solace yellow scar for a scar red which one do you pick pass and pray that you get later Oh, man. Good one. This is good. Totally. I, I feel like I kind this. of blew my wad on the first oh, one is this here. this going to be the best? I don't know. There'll be new cards. There'll totally. Fine. Okay. Uh, all right.
1: I pick... I pick red Scar for a Scar. And really? I, yeah. Totally. Excellent. Excellent in draft the whole game. Right? And I pray... I get red drone of brutality back because that thing, I actually played a draft maybe like a week ago. I don't know where I had a red drone of brutality and in draft, it's like, you're more likely to maybe get down. Maybe not because your defense is suck too, but, <laughs> but yeah, you can play drone of brutality and keep getting it back and just hammer it. That's like so much damage in draft,
0: but that's your prey.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause, scar- Cause that is, it's caught. It's two for five damage. And goes on the bottom of your deck. It has less utility than red Scar for a Scar.
0: Hmm. That's just
1: excellent all the time. Except for resources, I guess. But, you
0: know. Interesting. I think, for me... Yeah, let's hear yours. Yeah, I'm picking Drone of Brutality red. Nice. Because of the value it gets if the game winds up going long to know you have a big attack coming... For any class, right? I could be the wizard with my little staff and then all of a sudden I hit you with a brutality, right? And you're like, crap, I should have remembered that was down there. And then my uh, prey is Sigil of Solace Yellow. Nice. I hope I get that one back because two health is going to be huge. Yeah. Right? Uh, It basically is two defense... It it has a lot more value because... It's an an instant, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you're not burning an action. You're not burning an action. Just a card. Just a card. It doesn't have really any defense. Um, It has two resources. I think it is generally really good. But it's really good. It's a really hard choice. And then I have to pass Scar for a Scar red. That's nuts. But it's a... Good question, though. Yeah, Yeah. totally. The reason I pass Scar for a Scar is even though I put it basically in every deck, because I can always, you know, I love manipulating that situation and then hitting you with Scar for Scarf Scar with go again, Drone of Brutality and Sigil of Solace are always good. Always good. That's why.
1: A Sigil of Solace doesn't take an action, but it takes a card. Right. And you can do, you can... Gaining two life is better than blocking two damage, probably, but preventing two damage
0: is the same thing as gaining two life. Kind of. Maybe. I'm just saying. I think that I think that that is a great Write that down. <laughs> it is a a great think, topic of debate for another podcast. If we start down that rabbit hole, we'll oh, be totally. here for another hour. I think it's a great card, probably. It's just that's yep. why i didn't pick it
1: excellent um also the brutes we covered all the new weapons except the brutes but he gets two claws which is awesome well, we didn't talk about the
0: rune blades oh, okay never mind. Right right, everybody's moving seen on, on moving yeah. on yeah um okay so that's our that's our show this is the attack action podcast with the battle bros taylor and isaac uh i've been taylor i am isaac <laughs> you totally are um, you can find us um, on the Discord. I'm uh, at Mr. Beefhammer, capital M, capital Beef, capital Hammer, <laughs> all one word. Um, I'm also on the Facebook group. Uh, you can find me there, and you could email us anything you want that is uh, podcast-appropriate, such as questions. Um, or words of encouragement at um, the attack action podcast at gmail.com yeah which is probably available <laughs> yeah right that's a long one <laughs> um anything you want to leave the the audience with uh no uh
1: again hopefully our next few podcasts will get a little more uh we'll play the game a lot more and play the new characters and play the new set and have uh Less flippant opinions and more, uh, kind of like analytical takes on cards, yeah. but this is, we're just starting out and everybody's
0: just starting out and, uh, you know. Yeah. We're associate professor Taylor and Isaac. Yeah, totally. In two to At three least Two, th- three weeks will be Dr. Taylor, and Dr. Isaac. Yeah. yeah. That's usually how long it takes, right? <laughs> yeah. For a doctor. Like three weeks. Yeah. Totally. With the yeah. internet and the amount of time I have on my hands <laughs> for sure. Um, the last, the last thing I want to talk about or just mention is that if for some reason our podcast is the first one you're listening to, um, there are more out there. There's Radio Reflex, um, which are two gentlemen from New Zealand. Uh, that's pretty good. I don't know if they're still making episodes. They maybe were earlier in the summer. Um, there's Feindahl's pod- podcast, but I think he only has five episodes, but worth a listen because of... If you're us, you're just getting into the game right now, and he talks about a lot of the early sets and has a lot of the early players, and they talk about the early New Zealand meta. And then my favorite podcast is Session Blood right now. They're very current. Um, they come out once a week, um, and they're a real joy to listen to and probably have the, the better-named podcast out of all the podcasts. Once a week? Yeah. Nice, they're on it. Yeah, they're totally on it. Well, they're also from New Zealand, so they're like, you know they got store championships. they got all kinds of road to nationals that they can go see and play in all the time. So they have much more content than us American idiots out there.
1: Yeah, we'd be way ahead if we were able.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, And then there's various YouTube channels um, that you should go watch. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, Team Covenant does a live stream of Flesh and Blood every Tuesday. Um, There's DM Armada. He's doing great stuff. Um, there's the red zone rogue. He's, he's also doing excellent stuff on there. There's a lot of content creators out there. Um, and there's more to come as this new set happens and, uh, support them, uh, support us. And we appreciate that you're listening and, uh, hopefully you get to play some games in the flesh and blood. All right. That's our show. Happy pandemic, everybody.